A City Near Centaurs by Bill Joad. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Zunera Qureshi. A City Near Centaurs by Bill Doad. The city was sacred, but not to its gods. Michelson was a god, but far from sacred. Crouched in the ancient doorway like an animal peering out from his burrow, Mr. Michelson saw the native. At first, he was startled, thinking it might be someone else from the earth settlement who had discovered the old city before him. Then he saw the glint of sun against the metallic skirt and relaxed. He chuckled to himself, wondering with amusement what a web-footed man was doing in an old dead city so far from his people. Some facts were known about the people of Alpha Centaurus II. They were not actually natives, he recalled. They were a colony from the fifth planet of the system. They were curious people. Some were highly intelligent, though uneducated. He decided to ignore the man for the moment. He was far down the ancient street, a mere speck against the sand. There would be plenty of time to wonder about him. He gazed out from his position at the complex variety of buildings before him. Some were small, obviously homes. Others were huge, with tall, frail spires standing against the pale blue sky. Square buildings, ellipsoid, spheroid, beautiful, dream-stuffed bridges connected tall, conical towers, bridges that still swung in the wind after half a million of years. Late afternoon sunlight shone against ebony surfaces. The sands of many centuries had blown down the wide streets and filled the doorways. Desert plants grew from roofs of smaller buildings. Ignoring the native, Mr. Michelson poked about among the ruins happily, exclaiming to himself about some particular artifact, marveling at its state of preservation, holding it this way and that to catch the late afternoon sun, smiling, clucking gleefully. He crawled over the rubble through old doorways half-filled with accumulation of ages. He dug experimentally in the sand with his hands like a dog under a roof that had weathered half a million years of rain and sun. Then he crawled out again, covered with dust and cobwebs. The native stood in the street less than a hundred feet away, waving his arms madly. Mr. Earth God, he cried, it is sacred ground where you are trespassing. The archaeologist smiled, watching the man hurry closer. He was a short one, even for a native. Long gray hair hung to his shoulders, bobbing up and down as he walked. He wore no shoes. The toes of his webbed feet dragged in the sand, making a deep trail behind him. He was an old man. You never told us about this old dead city, Michelson said chidingly. Shame on you. But never mind. I've found it now. Isn't it beautiful? Yes. Beautiful. You will leave now. Leave? Michelson asked, acting surprised, as if the man were a child. I just got here a few hours ago. You must go. Why? Who are you? I am keeper of the city. You? Michelson laughed. Then seeing how serious the native was, said, What makes you think a dead city needs a keeper? The spirits may return. Michelson crawled out of the doorway and stood up. He brushed his trousers. He pointed, See that wall? Built of some metal, I'd say? Some alloy impervious to rust and wear? The spirits are angry. Notice the inscriptions? Wind has blown sand against them for eons and rain and sleet, but their story is there once we decipher it. Leave! 
The native's lined, weathered old face was working around the mouth in anger. Michelson was almost sorry he mocked him. He was deadly serious. Look, he said, no spirits are ever coming back here. Don't you know that? And even if they did, spirits care nothing for old cities half covered with sand and dirt. He walked away from the old man, heading for another building. The sun had already gone below the horizon, coloring the high clouds. He glanced backward. The webfoot was following. Mr. Earth God, the webfoot cried, so sharply that Michelson stopped. You must not touch, not walk upon, not handle. Your step may destroy the home of some ancient spirit. Your breath may cause one iota of change, and a spirit may lose his way in the darkness. Go quickly now, or be killed. He turned and walked off, not looking back. Michelson stood in the ancient street, tall, gaunt, feet planted wide, hands in pockets, watching the webfoot until he was out of sight beyond a huge circular building. There was a man to watch. There was one of the intelligent ones. One looked into the alert old eyes. I told him that. Michelson shook his head and went about satisfying his curiosity. He entered buildings without thoughts of roofs falling in or decayed floors dropping him under his weight. He began to collect small items, making a pile of them in the street. An ancient bowl, metal untouched by the ages. A statue of a man, one foot high, correct to the minutest details, showing how identical they had been to Earthmen. He found books, still standing on ancient shelves, but was afraid to touch them without tools. Darkness came swiftly, and he was forced out into the street. He stood there, alone, feeling the age of the place. Even the smell of age was in the air. Silver moonlight from the two moons filtered through clear air down upon the ruins. The city lay now in darkness, dead and still, waiting for morning so it could lie dead and still in the sun. There was no hurry to be going home. Although he was alone, although this was Alpha Centaurus second, with many unknowns, many dangers, although home was a very great distance away, there was no one back there to worry about him. His wife had died many years ago back on Earth. No children. His friends in the settlement would not look for him for another day at least. Anyway, the tiny cylinder buried in flesh behind his ear, a thing of mystery and immense power, could take him home instantly, without effort, save a flicker of thought. You did not leave as I asked you, Michelson whirled around at the sound of the native's voice. Then he relaxed. He said, You shouldn't sneak up on a man like that. You must leave, or I will be forced to kill you. I do not want to kill you, but if I must... He made a clucking sound deep in his throat. The spirits are angry. Nonsense. Superstition. But never mind. You have been here longer than I. Tell me, what are those instruments in the rooms? It looks like a clock, but I'm certain it had some other function. What rooms? Oh, come now. The small rooms back there look like they were bedrooms. I do not know. The web foot drew closer. Michelson decided he was 60 or 70 years old at least. You've been here a long time. You are intelligent and you must be educated the way you talk. The gadgets look like a timepiece of some sort. What is it? What does it measure? I insist that you go. The webfoot held something in his hand. No. Michelson looked off down the street, trying to ignore the native, trying to feel the life of the city as it might have been. You are sensitive, 
the native said in his ear. It takes a sensitive god to feel the spirits moving in the houses and walking in these old streets. Say it any way you want to. This is the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. The Inca's treasure, the ruins of Pompeii, Egyptian tombs. None can hold a candle to this. Mr. Earth God, don't call me that. I'm not a god and you know it. The old man shrugged. It is not an item worthy of dispute. Those names you mentioned, are they the names of gods? He chuckled. In a way, yes. What is your name? Maota. You must help me, Maota. These things must be preserved. We'll build a museum right here in the street. No, over there on the hill, just outside the city. We'll collect all the old writings and perhaps we may decipher them. Think of it, Maota. To read pages written so long ago and think their thoughts. We'll put everything under glass. Build and evacuate chambers to stop the decay. Catalog, itemize. Michelson was warming up to his subject, but Maota shook his head like a waving palm phone and stamped his feet. You will leave now. Can't you see? Look at the decay. These things are priceless. They must be preserved. Future generations will thank us. Do you mean, the old man aghast, asked, that you want others to come here? You know the city abhors the sound of alien voices. Those who lived here may return one day. They must not find their city packaged and preserved and laid out on shelves for the curious to breathe their foul breaths upon. You will leave. Now. No. Michelson was a damned. The rock of Gibraltar. Maota hit him quickly, passionately, and dropped the weapon beside his body. He turned swiftly, making a swirling mark in the sand with his heel, and walked off toward the hills outside the city. The weapon he had used was an ancient book. Its paper-thin pages rustled in the wind as if unseen hand turned them, reading while Michelson's blood trickled out from the head wound upon the ancient street. When he regained consciousness, the two moons, bright sentinel orbs in the night sky, had moved to a new position down their sliding path. Old Maota's absence took some of the weirdness and fantasy away. It seemed a more practical place now. The gash in his head was painful, throbbing with quick, short hammer blows synchronized with his heartbeats. But there was a new determination in him. If it was a fight that the old web-footed fool wanted, a fight he would get. The cylinder flicked him at his command across 500 miles of desert and rocks to a small creek he remembered. Here he bathed his head in cool water until all the cake blood was dissolved from the hair. Feeling better, he went back. The wind had turned cool. Michelson shivered, wishing he had brought a coat. The city was absolutely still, except for small gusts of wind sighing through the frail spires. The ancient book still lay in the sand beside the dark spot of blood. He steeped over and picked it up. It was light, much lighter than most earth books. He ran a hand over the binding. Smooth it was, untouched by time or climate. He squinted at the pages, tilting the book to catch the bright moonlight, but the writing was alien. He touched the page, ran his forefinger over the writing. Suddenly he sprang back. The book fell from his hands. God in heaven! he exclaimed. He had heard a voice. He looked around at the old buildings down the length of the ancient street. Something strange about that voice, not Maota, not his tones, not his words. Satisfied that no one was near, he stooped and picked up the book again. Good God, he said out loud. It was the book talking. His fingers had touched the writing again. It was not a voice exactly, but a staring in his mind, like a strange language heard for the first time. A talking book. What other surprises were in this city? 
tall, fragile buildings laughing at time and weather, a clock measuring God knows what. If such wonders remained, what about those already destroyed? One could only guess at the machines, the gadgets, the artistry already decayed and blown away to mix forever with the sand. I must preserve it, he thought, whether Maota likes it or not. They say these people lived half a million years ago, a long time. Let's see, now. A man lives 100 years on the average, 5,000 lifetimes, and all you do is touch a book and a voice jumps across all those years. He started off towards the tall building he had examined upon discovery of the city. His left eyelid began to twitch and he laid his forefinger against the eye, pressing until it stopped. Then he stooped and entered the building. He laid the book down and tried to take the clock off the wall. It was dark in the building and his fingers felt along the wall, looking for it. Then he touched it. His fingers moved over its smooth surface. Then suddenly, he jerked his hand back with an exclamation of amazement. Fear ran up his spine. The clock was warm. He felt like running, like flicking back to the settlement where there were people and familiar voices, for here was a thing that should not have been. Half a million years and here was warmth. He touched it again, curiosity overwhelming his fear. It was warm, no mistake, and there was a faint vibration, a suggestion of power. He stood there in the darkness, staring off into the darkness, trembling. Fear built up in him until it was a monstrous thing, drowning reason. He forgot the power of the cylinder behind his ear. He scrambled through the doorway. He got up and ran down the ancient sandy street until he came to the edge of the city. Here he stopped, gasping for air, feeling the pain throb in his head. Common sense said that he should go home, that nothing worthwhile could be accomplished at night, that he was tired, that he was weak from loss of blood and fright and running. But when Michelson was on the trail of important discoveries, he had no common sense. He sat down in the darkness, meaning to rest a moment. When he awoke, dawn was red against thin clouds in the east. Old Mauta stood in the street with wet feet planted far apart in the sand, a weapon in the crook of his arm. It was a long tube affair, familiar to Michelson. Michelson asked, Did you sleep well? No. I'm sorry to hear that. How do you feel? Fine, but my head aches a little. Sorry, Mauta said. For what? For hitting you. Pain is not for gods like you. Michelson relaxed and what? What kind of man are you? First you try to break my skull, then you apologize. I abhor pain. I should have killed you outright. He thought about that for a moment, eyeing the weapon. It looked in good working order, slim and shiny and innocent. It looked like a glorified African blowgun. But he was not deceived by its appearance. It was a deadly weapon. Well, he said, before you kill me, tell me about the book. He held it up for Mayota to see. What about the book? What kind of book is it? What does Mr. Earth God mean? What kind of book? You have seen it. It is like any other book, except for the material and the fact that it talks. No, no, I mean, what's in it? Poetry. Poetry? For God's sake, why poetry? Why not mathematics or history? Why not tell how to make the metal of the book itself? Now there is a subject worthy of a book. Maura shook his head. One does not study a dead culture to learn how they made things, but how they thought. But we were wasting time. I must kill you now, so I can get some rest. The old man raised the gun. Wait, you forget that I also have a weapon. He pointed to the spot behind his ear where the cylinder was buried. I can move faster than you can fire the gun. Maota nodded. I have heard how you travel. It does not matter. I will kill you anyway. I suggest we negotiate. No. Why not? 
Malta looked off toward the hills, old eyes filmed from years of sand and wind, leather skin lined and pitted. The hills stood immobile, brown-gray, already shimmering with heat and important. Why not? Michelson repeated. Why not what? Mauta dragged his eyes back. Negotiate. No, Mauta's eyes grew hard as steel. They stood there in the sun not twenty feet apart, hating each other. The two moons, very pale and far away on the western horizon, stared like two bottomless eyes. All right, then. At least it's a quick death. I hear that thing just disintegrates with a man. And that's that. Michelson prepared himself to move if the old man's finger slipped closer toward the firing stud. The old man raised the gun. Wait! Now what? At least read some of the book to me before I die. Then, the gun wavered. I'm not an unreasonable man, the webfoot said. Michelson stepped forward, extending his arm with the book. No, stay where you are. Throw it. This book is priceless. You just don't go throwing such valuable items around. It won't break. Throw it. Michelson threw the book. It landed at Maoto's feet, spouting sand against his leg. He shifted the weapon, picked up the book, and leafed through it. Raising his head in a listening attitude, searching for a suitable passage, Michelson heard the thin metallic pages rustle softly. He could have jumped and seized the weapon at that moment, but his desire to hear the book was strong. Old Mauta read. Michelson listened. The cadence was different, the syntax confusing, but the thoughts were there. It might have been a professor back on earth reading his students Keats, Shelley, Browning. These people were human, with human thoughts and aspirations. The old man stopped reading. He squatted slowly, keeping Michelson in sight, and laid the book face up in the sand. Wind moved the pages. See, he said, the spirits read. They must have been great readers, these people. They drink the book as if they were an elixir. See how gentle. They lap at the pages like a new kitten tasting milk. Michelson laughed. You certainly have an imagination. What difference does it make? Malta cried, suddenly angry. You want to close up all these things in boxes for posterity? Who may have no slightest feeling or appreciation? I want to leave the city as it is, for spirits whose existence I cannot prove. The old man's eyes were furious now, deadly. The gun came down directly in line with Earthman's chest. The gnarled finger moved. Michelson, using the power of the cylinder behind his ear, jumped behind the old webfoot. To Mauda, it seemed that he had flicked out of existence like a match blown out. The next instant, Michelson spun around him and hit him. It was an inexpert fist belonging to an archaeologist, not a fighter. But Mauta was an old man. He dropped in the sand, momentarily stunned. Michelson bent over to pick up the gun, and the old man, feeling it slip from his fingers, hung on and was pulled to his feet. They struggled for possession of the gun, silently gasping, kicking sand. Faces grew red, lips drew back over Michelson's white teeth or Mauta's pink toothless gums. The dead city's fragile spires threw impersonal shadows down where they fought. Then, quite suddenly, a finger or hand neither knew whose finger or hand touched the firing stud. There was a hollow, whooshing sound, both stopped still, realizing the total destruction they may have caused. It only hit the ground, Michelson said. A black charred hole two feet in diameter, and they could not see how deep stared at them. Maura let go and sprawled in the sand. The book, he cried. The book is gone. No, we probably covered it with sand while we fought. Both men began scooping sand in their cupped hands, digging frantically for the book. Saliva dripped from Maota's mouth, but he didn't know or care. Finally, they stopped. 
exhausted. They had covered a substantial area around the hole. They had covered the complete area where they had been. We killed it, the old man moaned. It was just a book, not alive, you know. How do you know? The old man's pale eyes were filled with tears. It talked and it sang. In a way, it had a soul. Sometimes on long nights, I used to imagine it loved me for taking care of it. There are other books. We'll get another. Maota shook his head. There are no more. But I've seen them, down there in the square building. Not poetry. Books, yes, but not poetry. That was the only book with songs. I'm sorry. You killed it. Maota suddenly sprang for the weapon, lying forgotten in the sand. Michelson put his foot on it, and Maota was too weak to tear it loose. He could only weep out his rage. When he could talk again, Maota said, I am sorry, Mr. Earth God. I've disgraced myself. Don't be sorry. Michelson helped him to his feet. We fight for some reasons, cry for others. A priceless book is a good reason for either. Not for that. For not winning. I should have killed you last night when I had the chance. The gods give us chances, and if we don't take them, we lose forever. I told you before, we are on the same side. Negotiate. Have you never heard of negotiation? You are a god, Mauta said. One does not negotiate with gods. One either loves them or kills them. There's another thing. I'm not a god. Can't you understand? Of course you are, Mato looked up very sure. Mortals cannot step from star to star like crossing a shallow brook. No, no, I don't step from one star to another. An invention does that, just an invention. I carry it with me, it's a tiny thing. No one would ever guess it has such power. So you see, I'm human just like you. Hit me and I hurt. Cut me and I bleed. I love, I hate, I was born, someday I'll die. See, I'm human, just a human with a machine. No more that. Mata laughed and sobered quickly. You lie. No. If I had this machine, could I travel as you? Yes. Then I'll kill you and take yours. It would not work for you. Why? Each machine is tailored for each person. The old man hung his head. He looked down into the black charred hole. He walked all around the hole. He kicked at the sand, looking half-heartedly again for the book. Look, Michelson said. I'm sure I've convinced you that I'm human. Why not have a try at negotiating our differences? He looked up. His expressive eyes, deep, resigned, studied Michelson's face. Finally, he shook his head sadly. When we first met, I hoped we could think the ancient thoughts together. But our paths diverge. We have finished, you and I. He turned and started off, shoulders slumped dejectedly. Michelson caught up to him. Are you leaving the city? No. Where are you going? Away. Far away. Maoto looked off toward the hills, eyes distant. Don't be stupid, old man. How can you go far away and not leave the city? There are many directions you would not understand. East, west, north, south, up, down. No, no, there is another direction. Come if you must see. Michelson followed him far down the street. He came to a section of the city he had not seen before. Buildings were smaller, spires dwarfed against larger structures. Here, a path was packed in the sand leading to a particular building. Michelson said, This is where you live? Yes. Mauta went inside. Michelson stood in the entrance and looked around. The room was clean, furnished with handmade chairs and a bed. Who is this old man, he thought, far from his people, living alone, choosing a life of solitude among ancient ruins but not touching them? Above the bed, a clock was fastened to the wall. Michelson remembered his fright, thinking of the warmth where warmth should not be. Mauta pointed to it. You asked me about this machine, he said. Now I will tell you. He laid his hand against it. Here is power to follow another direction. Michelson tested one of the chairs to see if it would hold his weight, then sat down. His curiosity about the instrument was colossal, but he forced a short laugh. Maota, you are complex. Why not stop all this mystery? 
three nonsense and tell me about it. You know more about it than I. Of course, Maura smiled, a toothless superior smile. What do you suppose happened to this race? You tell me. They took the unknown direction. The books speak of it. I don't know how the instrument works, but one thing is certain. The race did not die out as a species becomes extinct. Michelson was amused but interested. Something like a fourth dimension? I don't know. I only know that with this instrument there is no death. I have read the books that speak of this race as wonderful people who conquered all disease, who explored all the mysteries of science, who devised this machine to cheat death. See this button here on the face of the instrument? Press the button and... And what? I don't know exactly, but I have lived many years. I have walked the streets of the city and wondered and wanted to press the button. Now I will do so. Quickly, the old man, still smiling, pressed the button. A high-pitched whine filled the air just within audio range. Steady for a moment, it then rose in pitch passing beyond hearing quickly. The old man's knees buckled. He sank down, fell over the bed, lay still. Michelson touched him cautiously, then examined him more carefully. No question about it, the old man was dead. Feeling depressed and alone, Michelson found a desert knoll outside the city overlooking the tall spires that shone in the sunlight and gleamed in the moonlight. He made a stretcher, rolled the old man's body onto it, and dragged it down the long ancient street and up the knoll. Here he buried him, but it seemed a waste of time. Somehow he knew beyond any doubt that the old native and his body were completely disassociated, in some sense more complete than death. In the days that followed, he gave much thought to the clock. He came to the city every day. He spent long hours in the huge square building with the books. He learned the language by sheer bulldog determination. Then he searched the books for information about the instrument. Finally, after many weeks, long after the winds had obliterated all evidence of Mauta's grave on the knoll, Michelson made a decision. He had to know if the machine would work for him. And so one afternoon, when the ancient spires threw long shadows over the sand, he walked down the long street and entered the old man's house. He stood before the instrument, trembling, afraid, but determined. He pinched his eyes shut tight like a child and pressed the button. The high-pitched whine started. Complete, utter silence. Void, darkness, awareness and memory. Yes, nothing else. Then Mauta's chuckle came. No sound. An impression only like the voice from the ancient book. Where was he? There was no left or right, up or down. Mauta was everywhere, nowhere. Look! Mauta's thought was directed at him, in this place of no direction. Think of the city, and you will see it. Michelson did, and he saw the city beyond as if they were looking through a window, and yet he was in the city, looking at his own body. Mauta's chuckled again. The city will remain as it is. You did not win after all. Neither did you. But this existence has compensations, Mauta said. You can be anywhere, see anywhere on this planet, even on your earth. No. Michelson felt a great sadness seeing his body lying across the old homemade bed. He looked closer. He sensed a vibration or life force. He didn't stop to define it in his body. Why was his dead body different from old Mauta's? Could it be that there was some thread stretching from the reality of his body to his present state? I don't like your thoughts, Mauta said. No one can go back. I tried. I have discussed it with many who are not presently in communication with you. No one can go back. Michelson decided. He tried. No! Malta's thought was prickled with fear and anger. Michelson did not know how to try, but he remembered the cylinder and gathered all the force of his mind in spite of Malta's protests and gave his most violent command. At first he thought it didn't work. He got up and looked around, 
and then it struck him. He was standing up. The cylinder, he knew it was a cylinder. That was the difference between himself and Maoja. When he used the cylinder, that was where he went, the place where Maoja was now. It was a door of some kind, leading to a path of some kind, where distance was non-existent. But the clock was a mechanism to transport only the mind to that place. To be certain of it, he pressed the button again with the same result as before. He saw his own body fall down. He felt Mauta's presence. You devil! Mauta's thought scream was a sword of hate and anger, irrational suddenly, like a person who knows his loss is irrevocable. I said you were a god. I said you were a god. I said you were a god. A city near Centaurs by Bill Dode. Recording by Zanera Qureshi in the San Francisco Bay Area.